0: This is Believe and Georgia Dogs Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. It's time to awaken an entire nation. I'll be your dog till I die. Between the hedges, look you fly. 90,000 in the stands, I'm going to do my dance, make it look fine. Coach, put me in the game. UGA, yeah, the name. Yeah, the offense going to turn up, but the defense going to win us the game.
1: Here's your host, Corey Burton. All right, welcome into a Thursday edition of the Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Again, you can catch us on social media at Believe in Dogs, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Be sure to check us out. And anywhere that you get your podcast, be sure to check us out there. Like and subscribe. Give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Um, if you want to advertise, if you want this show to be brought to you by, insert your company name here, go to Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, and they will get you set up with some good sponsorship packages. So uh, today is an interesting show with everything that's going on in the college football world. I thought I'd bring you another solo episode just to uh, just to get some of my thoughts out there on the table as far as how uh, things have unfolded in college football Uh, If you recall from the last episode uh, that was released, Matthew Perkins joined me from the Believe in Vandy uh, podcast. And uh, again, I want to reiterate that him and Zach are doing a tremendous job. So once you get done listening to this, you should go check them out as well. So uh, we discussed the SEC's release of the additional uh, cross-divisional opponents uh, that would fit the 10-game conference-only schedule uh, model. So since Friday... Uh, when that information was released, uh, the Big Ten has come out and they have postponed their season to try to play in the spring. And the Pac-12 has joined suit. The Big 12 came out with a statement and said that we are going to play on. And that was probably that effort was probably led by uh, the the big boys of that conference, Oklahoma and uh, the University of Texas. The SEC and ACC have maintained from day one, that they are going to do everything they possibly can to to play on with the season. And And to be honest with you, I, I think that uh, with the caliber of, of doctors that a lot of these schools have on hand, I think it's I think it's a you know, I think the kids are in good hands as far as monitoring. I think they actually are safer on campus with the monitoring and the constant testing and the uh, things that are going to happen within those facilities because during the season, those kids really – the players really don't have a lot of time to really get out and, and mingle, especially if, if the town is going to be relatively dead. If, if things are closing down at 10 o'clock, I mean, there's going to be little room during the season for for a lot of the players to get out and, and, and really give themselves chances, major chances to be exposed. I mean, you know, the way they've handled it so far, I, I think that that uh, Georgia's uh, cases, are, they're either not being publicized – or there's just not that many of them because Ron Corson is, is leading the charge on, on all of this. And I think he's done a good job. I think he's done a tremendous job as far as putting protocols in place, putting things in place to ensure that these players are as safe as possible. Now, is it perfect? No, nothing's perfect. I mean, these kids could go out to to Walmart uh, later on in the afternoon and, and catch COVID. but. I think that with all the stuff that's in place, they're going to help them uh, catch it earlier and and maybe get them isolated so it doesn't run rampant through the entire program. So um, again, it's just, I'm I'm very happy with, with the way the SEC is handling this thing. They're showing, Greg Sankey is showing great leadership as far as trusting his doctors, trusting his medical team, because I guarantee you, if the medical team that the SEC has put together, or the ACC has put together, or the Big Twelve has put together, the conferences that that are electing to play on, if those medical teams didn't feel like it was a, a viable option to play on, they would probably say so because science should should trump politics in this in this scenario. And 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 several doctors have come on and said that uh, the myocarditis that uh, that the Big Ten is claiming that is their main. Scare or their main fear is uh, is something that happens with or without COVID, and, and it's something that is always pre-screened for and something that they're looking for as team doctors, and and I think that's uh, that's a valid point, and I think that's something that some you know someone is going to uh, look at, and someone's always going to be alert for that. So I, I think that if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Um, you certainly don't want it to happen, but. It's just something that that's screened for, and it's something that can be caught early if uh, if if it becomes a problem. And uh, with COVID, I think there's a lot of liability issues because um, you know it's not it's not protected under the uh, like you can't sue for for getting the flu, you can't sue for getting pneumonia, you can't sue for getting getting an illness like a viral illness. But right now, I I don't think COVID is protected under that uh, because. Is still very, 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 very new. So, I think the Big Ten and the Big Twelve, uh, the Big Ten and the Pac Twelve, are very fearful of being sued. And I think that um, with that fear, they decided to go ahead and postpone and try to play spring ball. The ACC, SEC, and Big Twelve have elected at this point. Now, this thing's not over yet, but they have elected at this point to play on. Now, what that means is, is that this very moment they're going to they're going to trudge on with the season. Now does that mean we start the season and halfway through it gets bad and we have to cancel possibly. Does it get to week one and we have to cancel? Possibly. Does it get all the way to the national championship game without, without any hitch or without, without any major hitch? I should say? Yeah, that's a possibility as well. There's a lot of things on the table, but you know they're they're gonna, they're gonna proceed uh, with their protocols, the, the stringent ones that are in place of testing, contract tracing, and isolation. And those guys that come up positive or, or start to show symptoms, and they're going to be very mindful of the very key symptoms. And, and the I'm going to leave it up to the medical doctors to understand those key symptoms. I certainly don't because there's so many different publications that come out with so many different things that I am not sure. So I'm going to leave it to the medical doctors to figure out what exactly they're looking for so that they can maybe pull a kid and... Pull him aside, isolate him if they if they suspect it. Test him. If he comes back negative, okay, we're gonna we're gonna monitor you for another day, and then uh, we'll probably test you again, and then we'll we'll send you back out there. So it's gonna be kind of I, I see COVID protocols kind of similar to concussion protocols. Any sort of suspicion of COVID. Because it's highly contagious, they're going to pull them out, just kind of like a concussion. Any suspicion of a concussion, you don't, you certainly don't want to mess with head injuries. So they're probably going to treat it very similarly, as far as the protocol goes. is if they if they suspect that you may have it, depending on a list of, of symptoms that they can see, visible symptoms they can see, then uh, they will pull you out. They will isolate you, test you, uh, contract contact trace, test, and and make sure that they they track down everything and. Uh, and I think that with doing that within your program, if every program kind of attacked it that same way, we could play on. You know, we don't need a bubble. The NFL is going to try to play without a bubble, and the, and, and the great thing about the way the SEC is handling handling this is they're not trying to start the season on time. That's another, that's another valid point as to why I think the SEC is getting it right because they have chosen to start on September 26th. That gives them time. That gives them time to see – what's going on in the NFL. That gives them, I think, three weeks to figure out what's going on in the NFL. Um, that also gives them uh, a few weeks to see what's going on out in the Big 12 because I think the Big 12, as of right now, is still starting on the normal college football timeline. So that gives the SEC time to look at their policies, look at their procedures, adjust how however they need to see fit because I guarantee you, all these head athletic trainers, these doctors, these team doctors, they're all in contact with each other. They're all trying to, ba- they're all bouncing ideas off each other because they think it's best for, for these guys to get out there and play. Um, they're trying to minimize the risk as much as they possibly can and they've actually, uh, and I can only speak really for the SEC because uh, that's the conference that I've been following the most given that George is obviously in the SEC. Uh, they've been doing a good job of getting out in front of all of these things. They've been very proactive in what they're doing. They've been very, diligent in what they're doing. They've been very deliberative in what they're doing. Uh, They delayed the start of being able to allow athletes to return on campus. They've seen minimal outbreaks in that regard. Uh, They have put in really strict testing procedures uh, conference-wide, not just at the university level, um, but conference-wide protocols they've put in. Uh, They've seen good results with that. And then I think with each individual university, you don't really hear about Massive outbreaks, except maybe at LSU, uh, which I think they just got a run of uh, of some bad luck. And and with COVID, you can certainly do that. I think LSU handled it well, and I think they're I think they're back and, and ready to go, and um, they're no worse for the wear. So, um, I mean, the issue with with this whole COVID thing is is you don't you can't really see it, and it's contagious before you start to show symptoms. But I think there's some things. You know, I think if they're out ahead of, of testing, they can they can figure that out. I guarantee they're in in contact with the NFL as well, as far as testing protocols. So, uh, I know I keep coming back to the procedures and protocols, but I think it's important to be able to, if you're gonna if you're gonna limit the risk, it's very important to be able to limit the risk and do things that you have to do to limit the risk and uh, to minimize the spread and and to make sure that these athletes are getting the care that they need to get to prevent the symptoms from getting out of hand Um, especially if they catch it early they can certainly prevent the symptoms from getting out of hand while letting the virus run its course if there is um, if there happens to be a positive test and if there happens to be a positive test if they catch it early uh, they can uh, they can sequester and isolate the uh, the infected athlete they can con they can contact trace they can isolate anybody they've been in contact with with for more than 15 minutes um, and then they can test those guys um, and isolate and, and do what they need to do. And if, and if, um, if those guys test negative, then they can uh, send them back and, and into their normal activity. So um, it, it's been a very good – been a very positive experience for the SEC. I think they're getting a lot of good publicity. Um, I know it's not all about the publicity, but anytime you can get good publicity, it's always good uh, for recruiting. I think that um, – you know, I think they're going to show – I think the SEC is going to kind of show college football kind of how to do it um, like they normally do on the field. They're going to show them off the field now as well. uh, As far as what are the best procedures, I think that they've handled it, in my opinion, they've handled it the best way they could. Uh, They've got a really great medical team that has been um, really doing a really tremendous job at, at presenting information to these university presidents presenting their information also to the ADs and also to the uh, conference commissioners um, or the conference commissioner team uh, and his, whatever staff he has, uh, Greg Sankey, whatever staff he has, they've been given uh, some great information as well. So I think they've been able to make an extremely well-informed decision to whether or not to try to press on. Now, again, at this moment, they've decided to continue to press on. They see the the trends going on around the country, uh, the positive rate, the positivity rate in the um, SEC foothold, um, relatively speaking, is going uh, down. Even if it's going down slightly, they see a they see a good trend in that area. I is is what I'm guessing, and they uh, they felt like that the numbers were the the the. Metrics—the specific metrics they are looking at—they haven't disclosed what they're looking at. Um, so I can only imagine they're looking at positivity rate, hospitalizations, and uh, deaths. And they, they I guess, they feel good about where those numbers are, as far as uh, the SEC states go. And uh, I guess they feel like that the that the risk that these college athletes have um, is certainly a million miles less than. You know, older the older generations, and you know the people that are uh, seventy plus with underlying conditions, uh, they they are developing an opt out clause, and and you can tell just by the number of players that come out and say we want to play, and they're not just they're not just they're not just retweeting the hashtag we want to play. They're actually they're actually typing out well thought out tweets. They're actually putting some thought and some true feelings behind what they're saying. Which lends you to believe that they are buying into what is being presented to them by the medical staff, the coaching staff, and 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 the, I feel like they're all unified. So, it, it's it's really been it's really been good to see. Um, and you can kind of tell which which colleges are presenting uh, the best information. You can tell which 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 schools actually uh, truly dive in and believe wholeheartedly uh, in what their university is doing. I, I don't think every player in every at every university is tweeting at the same level of commitment as say Georgia is tweeting or Clemson is t- tweeting and um, LSU is tweeting. Um, things like that where you can and, and if they are um, I'm certainly not seeing them and if you're listening to this and saying well hold up w- you know the Missouri players are just as passionate. Well you know Feel free, to, uh, feel free to show me those tweets. Um, I'm not saying they're not, but um, I think that the ones that I am seeing um, are, and, and they are truly um, bought in to the procedures that are in place. They truly believe that these doctors have their safety in mind, and uh, they're going to do everything they can to keep them safe. Now, is it is it perfect? No. But um, I think the NCAA has... Um, has shown a tremendous lack of leadership um, in this whole regard. Um, I think I think the biggest mess in this whole college football thing is the fact that you have no central voice and you're leaving everything up to the conference, which um, I think the NCAA has always been built on a house of cards. Um, and anytime you pretty much just let the conferences dictate what they want to do, things are going to get out of hand. And it shows with this whole... Uh, With this whole situation here where you have alliances between the SEC, ACC, and then you also have alliances between the Big Ten and Pac-12. And that kind of leaves the Big 12 as the, uh, I said Pac-12 and Big Ten, that leaves the Big 12 as kind of that swing conference. Like they kind of sway uh, the vote one way or the other. They're kind of the one that's going to make one side the majority and one side not the majority because right now you have a split decision between the two uh, big alliances. So, you know, with no central leadership, you know, there's no there's no one to step in. And don't don't tell me that Mark Emmert, uh, the the head of the NCAA, has any sort of teeth because he doesn't. The NCAA really doesn't dictate anything that happens in college football. It's really happens at the conference level and and to be honest with you the sec is kind of uh kind of the lead dog in in this whole thing they kind of lead the charge on a lot of stuff um and then you just have it's it's really just one giant power struggle all the time and uh and when they disagree it turns into what what's happening now when you know typically they all agree then then you know you get you get the illusion of everything's running smoothly and everything's great but as, as soon as there's an issue that, that conferences disagree on, then it gets really ugly, it gets really messy, and there's no one there to kind of clean it up. So your house of cards just kind of collapses. And, and that's kind of what the NCAA is built on. The one thing I like about the NFL is that uh, love him, hate him, whatever your opinion of Roger Goodell is, you know, with his policies and what he does as commissioner of the NFL, he does provide that central voice. Uh, The NFL was able to get a deal in place really quickly. Uh, The players spoke out um, about the lack of of that for a little while, but I think, um, you know, I I don't know what was going on behind the scenes, but I think that they, um, once they kind of figured out that there was some disagreement and there was some struggle and there was some whatever, um, instead of doing what MLB did was drag out negotiations publicly, and and throw out all these scenarios publicly. The NFL kept real quiet. The players spoke out, and then all of a sudden, I guess they had their disagreements behind closed doors. It could have been a knockdown drag out between the players' association and the NFL. We don't know. It was not public, which actually is a really good thing. Um, as much as the consumer wants to know what's going on behind the scenes, I think that uh, from a you know from a public viewing uh, situation, it's probably good that it all goes on behind closed doors and and you don't see these arguments happening like you do with the MLB or, you know, you have the social media league of the, of the NBA uh, where everything lives on social media with them. Uh, the MLB argues through the press and uh, the commissioner's office and the, and the players association and MLB, they, they just, they just trade headlines uh, with uh, their disagreements. And then here's the NFL, you know, they might disagree once, and then behind closed doors for a couple weeks, and then boom, here's an announcement. They came up with an agreement. The player signed off on it really quickly, which leads me to believe there was some really good productive negotiation, not always positive, Not always uh, doesn't always seem um, like it could go well. But at the end of the day, it was productive, and they got a deal done, and they got protocols in place. Now all the teams have something to, to fall back on. They have a plan to fall back on. They have a good protocol and good procedure of testing. And uh, everything so far, relatively speaking, it's not going to all be smooth. There's going to be some choppy water. I I understand that. There's going to be some positive tests. There's going to be some guys on the uh, on the IR COVID list, and that that's to be expected, of course, when you're playing a sport like football. But um, for the most part, I think the NFL has been been pretty good. Uh, been pretty uh, you know until they start playing games. That'll be a different story. But um, I think they've been relatively, uh, relatively free of, of anything that you can majorly criticize them about. So um, taking the pro leagues, going back to, let's go back to college. Where is your central voice? Now, I think there's a lot of variables in place um, that would prevent a central voice. But if the NCAA wants to clean up all of this garbage, they need to reestablish themselves as the central voice. They need to restructure that entire organization and figure out from the top what powers does the NCAA president have, what powers do the conference carry, how do they negotiate, what are their procedures as far as getting rules passed between uh, between the conferences and, and how to get unified things out there Um recruiting rules, things like that. I mean, they need to clean up a lot of regulations within the instant They need to look at all their recruiting rules. They need to clean those up and modernize those. Cause there's some that are outdated and there's something there's some that are just ridiculous that make no sense. Um, they, they need to figure out a way to incentivize group of five. Um, cause I think that group of five kind of gets lost in the shuffle. Um, uh, I would like to see, um, a championship at every level. You know, you have an FCS championship. Why not have a group of five? Why not have your power five championship? Why not have, you know, you have your division two, you have your division three. Why not have FCS? Why not, you know, your your division one is essentially split into three groups. Why not have a championship for each level? That's kind of like high school where you have a 5A, you have a a 6A, 5A, 4A, 3A, 2A, 1A champion. Uh, They play in their respective conferences and they play in their respective classifications and they 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 crown champions. It's not, you know, I think too many people get wrapped up in well everybody's getting a trophy. It's not an everybody's getting a trophy type deal. But you're giving schools that are that are smaller at a more economical disadvantage a chance to to win some hardware. And and don't tell me that the freaking Little Caesars Bowl is proper hardware. Don't tell me that. Okay? They should have a national championship playoff kind of just like FBS to where their conference champions have a chance. If you win your conference, you should have a chance to sit at the table and play for a national championship. You should be able as a Mountain West champion, as a Sun Belt champion, as a Conference USA champion, as an American Conference champion to be an MAC champion to be able to play for a national championship. There's no reason that they shouldn't be able to play for a national championship. That's something that needs to be looked at. Um, I think that uh, I, I really like the argument of paying these guys. Um, you've got to figure out a system that respects the laws of Title IX, which is which kind of gets tricky. But if if you're a multi-billion-dollar industry, you should be able to distribute money uh, down the pike to some other uh, to some other non-revenue sports like tennis, swimming equestrian, golf, you know, things like that, that, you know, that aren't the big three of of football, uh, basketball and baseball. So you should be able to, you know, just like you support those sports uh, in the athletic department, there should be a part of the budget that pays those athletes a stipend. It doesn't have to be a great stipend, but you should be able to pay athletes a stipend um, beyond like some, and I don't know what all the full scholarship stuff um, entails, um, but also I think you should allow these guys to get endorsements if they can. I mean, it's, you know, college football has become – amateurism in college football is – it's so far gone. Um, it's just a, a shell of itself right now uh, anyway uh, because these guys are getting endorsement deals under the table. These guys are getting paid. You know, you're already kind of paying them a stipend, I think. Um, to be honest with you, it's so unclear. I don't even know where it's at, to be honest. Um I don't even know where, you know, I, I would love to ask a current scholarship athlete what their payment's like. I am guarantee it's not enough. Um, and they can't get jobs. Um, so, you know, they've got to be able to, like regular college kids can get a job at wherever to support themselves. You know, college, college athletes have to live on this stipend. And and it just, I don't know. I mean, you know, you can point to, well, they're getting education. They're getting whatever. Great, that's awesome. They should get a little stipend too because they are creating, marketing. They're a walking commercial for your university, and they're putting their bodies on the line for your university. They should get a little bit of the piece of the pie for that. They're bringing, they're bringing, uh, they're bringing viewers. They're bringing people that are applying to your university. They're bringing a lot of stuff, a lot of positive publicity most of the time, uh, to your university. And a scholarship, I think, should should have some things built in to where um, they're getting rewarded for that. And and obviously, you know, um, you know, obviously you take a scholarship knowing that, you know, knowing that there's going to be a heavy lean towards football just because it's the most visible and most uh, most highest, that's where most of the revenue is generated from. But like in Kentucky, you know, basketball is probably generating more than football. So I, I think you need to, you know, allocate that as you see fit, you know, let's, and then, um, and then you can take that revenue. Like the, the SEC network pays each university $45 million. What are you doing with that money? You know, where does all that money go? Like you're, you're operating in a major surplus a lot. Um, you know, why not help some of your athletes in non-revenue sports? Why not make some of them that are on a lot of them, a lot of them that are on partial scholarships. Why not help give them full rides even like, bolster their packages, bolster their scholarship packages or do whatever you can within reason um, to where it's not totally lopsided towards football. But, you know, you want to help out your athletic department and you're getting all this money, especially in the SEC, uh, to be able to do that. Um, Now, I I think um, there's some other pitfalls that you could get into with that as far as uh, generating revenue. And, you know, the big boys, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Um, Well, I I think it's you know I think there should be some uniform uh, things that go with it um, at the university level, Um, but there should also be some perks that go with it for you know if if you're fortunate enough to be the front man, the face of the program at a place like Alabama or Tennessee or Georgia or Clemson or Florida State or Ohio State or Oregon somewhere like that, Um, there should be some there should be some built-in advantages to that. Um, But you know also if you're the face of the Colorado state Rams or if you're the face of North Dakota state, I mean, in a, in a relative situation, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be well compensated in relative terms to the town that you're in also, if you're a smaller university. So it goes both ways. It goes the same. I don't know. I I think there's a lot of advantages to, to paying the athletes and, and treating them as, um, I don't know how you would classify professionals, semi-professionals, things like that I don't know how you would, I don't know how you would do that. Um, and I don't know how you would uh, design the scholarship packages to be able to uh, compensate these athletes, but uh, there should be something um, and there should be something to it. And, and I think, I believe, I believe in that. Um, and I believe they should also, um, you know, get an education and um, you know, the transfer rules that should be looked at. Um, Cause they're just granting waivers left and right for BS reasons. So uh, there should be a system developed for that. And if you ask me what my system is, is I think that, um, you know, it's a two-way street. You know, take, you know, what they say, it takes two to tango, right? Um, so if a kid is leaving, they've got to have somewhere to go. And that, that place that they go has to be able to take them. And if that can happen, you know, regular students can transfer no problem anywhere they want to go. Um, and there's no penalty. So if if you're if you're um, stomping your feet, going, well, they should be treated like regular students. Well, regular students can transfer, no problem. Coaches can leave, no problem. So why not let the players leave? Um, I, you know, the the argument against it is it'll turn into free agency, and you're always recruiting rosters and things like that. But honestly. I think you know you have the same procedures as far as entering the transfer portal. Maybe you require more signatures. maybe you require a more deliberate approach to where you're not um, where you and there's some tampering rules that that you face. Um, if you get if you contact uh, players that are not in the transfer portal and you get caught doing so, um, that stuff happens anyway. So um, there's got to be some tampering rules. Um, in regards to that. So I I think it's something that you have to look at and, and maybe, you know, free transfers, uh, as far as, as far as getting into the transfer portal, make it slightly more difficult. So it might be more of a deterrent, but if a guy's going to transfer, he's going to transfer. It doesn't matter. He's going to transfer. Um, and they can transfer, they can play, no problem. Just make it uniform. You don't have to apply for a waiver, all that good stuff. Um, you know, have confer- have rules where you transfer within your conference. Maybe they have to sit out a year. Maybe go, you know, maybe they can transfer anywhere out of conference um, for free. But uh, you know, the the sit- sitting out rules apply conference o- at the conference level only. So if a guy goes from Alabama to to Mississippi State, um, you know, maybe they got to sit out. But if they go from Alabama to Oregon State, they can go free. Doesn't matter. As long as you're outside of your conference, I think that would be a good plan. Uh, there's a lot of good ideas um, that if uh, if they just really kind of reestablish themselves, they could they could redefine for the NCAA and make it make it a little bit more centrally organized. So, um, but anyway, uh, at any rate, I think that the NCAA could uh, could benefit from some central leadership, could benefit from a structure like that. Uh, unfortunately, I think it would be really tough to do so, and that's unfortunate. But I think as far as the way the NCAA is handling this whole COVID thing, um, they've been kind of like, I don't see it. Uh, whatever happens in the in this other, it's like it's almost like they locked the conferences in the other room and just just ignored them, and they heard stuff banging and breaking and things like that, but they didn't go in and check on them, and um, and and so you're left with this. Public relations mess that that we're in right now, where you have you have Big Ten schools trying to trying to leave the conference and go play go rogue. You have Pac twelve that are you know airing their player grievances out in public. Like if you had central leadership, you could handle all of that stuff behind closed doors. And don't tell me you can't because you could, um, and you could handle that with uh, with a good central leadership that everyone believes in. They probably wouldn't jump out and, and start airing all their dirty laundry. So. Um, again, hats off to Greg Sankey, hats off to the administration and Kirby Smart at UGA, uh, for the way they've been handling, uh, this whole COVID, I guess, crisis or this whole COVID situation. Um, they're doing the best of their ability. Uh, they're doing everything in their power to ensure that we have a productive and safe uh, 2020 football season, whether that happens or not, still remains to be seen. I'm not making any guarantees. My prediction is that you'll have a three-conference race for the national championship, which you were probably going to have anyway. Um, so, and Dabo Sweeney said it best: whoever wins it, whoever it is, it is uh, as far as the national champion goes. So, uh, the game must go on, um, but make sure I think uh, make sure you're looking out for the safety of these players because really, that's 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 the heart of it. And if, if it's not safe, then I don't think you can go on. If you get into it, um, if you give it a shot, which I think as long as the medical team is okay with that, as long as a medical team um, that is not influenced by political pressures deems it okay to play, by all means, get out there. Because selfishly, yes, I do want college football. Selfishly, I do. Um, but I think that it shouldn't come at the cost of, of – you know, 5,000 kids getting COVID and huge outbreaks on on college campuses that lead to a bunch of detrimental uh, situations. I think that if that kind of starts to happen, but I think these medical teams will uh, start to see that happening and they'll start pulling these kids. Uh, They'll start pulling these players. Uh, They can't really control what goes on if if universities let the kids come on campus. But if your university is going to let kids on campus, then uh, you should be able to play. Um, if they deem it too dangerous, um, then I think it needs to go to the uh, medical staff's um, decisions as far as athletics and, and what they're going to do with that. Um, as far as I know here in the state of Tennessee with high school, uh, TSSAA has said remote or not remote, as long as the kids are in school, they can play um, virtually or in person. It doesn't uh, that, that difference doesn't matter. Um, so as long as the medical team deems it safe at the university level, uh, to play, uh, and the, and the team that of doctors that each conference has employed as advisors deem it safe, then it's good enough for me. If they do not deem it, if they deem it unsafe and they have to postpone. Okay. I respect that decision. Uh, I, I don't have to like that decision. Um, but I respect it and understand that, um, and understand that it will be, uh, something that they have to, uh, that they just have to do what they got to do. So, um, with that being said, um, down the road, uh, I'm going to assume as of right now that Georgia is, uh, or that not only Georgia, but the entire sec is on. So conference, uh, conference season previews, uh, for all 10 of Georgia's opponents, um, is, is in the plans for me. Um, Kentucky is, um, probably going to be first up. That series is going to be called road games um, where it's a season preview of looking at our opponents. I was going to do that for uh, Georgia's uh, real schedule. So that was going to include non-conference opponents, uh, Georgia tech, Virginia and uh, Monroe. And I had one um, done with the FCS that you can check out with uh, Joe DeLeon. Uh, that's a prior episode that, that was recorded and, and published. So you can catch up on that. Um, so i got that coming down the pike. And uh, there's going to be some going to work on keep getting uh, alumni. So if you are a Georgia football alumni or if you are a Georgia athlete uh, alumni, please reach out to me at Believe in Dogs and uh, we'll get you on the show. Let you tell your story. Let you talk current events. Let you, you know, just kind of let you guest host with me. um, And uh, we will uh, we'll get that out there as well. So season previews, um, God willing, there's games, game previews, game reviews, Uh, Special guest appearances, um, guests from UGASports.com. Dane Young will probably be a regular here. Um, I'll probably have on Matt Perkins again um, before it's all said and done. Um, I will probably jump on other shows uh, to do season previews, hopefully, um, and game previews and things of that regard. Um, So there's a lot of good programming coming down the pike. If there is no season at all, uh, my plan is to – if there's an NFL season, you know, kind of just follow the NFL season with the local team, uh, the Atlanta Falcons, uh, probably my local team um, because I live in Nashville uh, for all the Nashville Dogs, the Tennessee Titans, um, and then also just kind of kind of spotlight uh, the all the active UGA players uh, around the league and just kind of highlight what they do um, and what they have coming up for them. So um, that being said, a lot of good unique content that we have along the way. Um, I'll probably selfishly give you some, uh, my fantasy football updates just because, um, whether you're interested or not, you're going to hear about it. Um, if there's no season, now, if there's a season, we're going to focus on UGA, maybe give a brief spotlight to the, uh, to the NFL dogs and, uh, and really just keep it focused on, uh, Georgia football. Um, if there's Georgia basketball, we'll try to preview that some, uh, I would love to get, uh, Joni Taylor and Tom Crean, um, on the show to preview their teams. That would be a, that would be a dream scenario for me. Uh, that would be a great, uh, couple episodes to preview men's and women's basketball. I would love to get Chris Hack on because I think the PGA is one of the most successful, uh, sports leagues that have reopened so far. There's plenty of dogs in the PGA, uh, on the PGA tour. Uh, I would love to get in touch with um, Scott Strickland, the head baseball coach, uh, and and just kind of talk about how the season ended last year and, and to kind of preview and, and what to expect for the season coming up. So I don't want to just be a football centric show, even though football at UGA is kind of the dominant sport. I want to make sure that I get news out there from, from every sport and, and give love to every sport. Um, and uh, maybe maybe get some volleyball love. Maybe see what they're doing. Uh, see how they're handling well, women's soccer, um, equestrian. You know, obviously men's and men's and women's basketball, uh, softball. You know, things like that. Think the sports like that that uh, don't normally get a lot of publicity. I would like to give some shine on them um, during their seasons. Um, and obviously uh football keep maintain uh football year round uh with recruiting and things like that but when when stuff gets kind of slow for football um you know there there's always other sports to highlight and there's always other things to highlight well with the with this great university so uh I would like to do so um so if you know anybody um in those other sports that would be that you feel like would be a great guest and if you're listening to this episode and you know somebody feel free to reach out um You know, I'm going to call out Maria Taylor, and uh, I hope that she would. uh, She's she's one of the most successful uh, um, women to come out of UGA. Uh, She's on ESPN. She's on Game Day. She's on College Game Day, and I I would love to hear about her journey um, as a UGA athlete and her journey into up the up the ladder of at ESPN and how she got in the position that she's in. Um, I think her and Laura Rutledge have a really um, interesting and funny rivalry um, because Laura went to uh, University of Florida, so they have a they have a really interesting uh, public rivalry on the air. Um, so I, you know, I'd love to kind of get some some insight from Maria about that. I would love to get David Pollock on. Uh, I would love to get um, if if I could get some of the famous UGA golfers. I would love to get Bubba Watson on here. Uh, I would love to get uh, Harris English on here. Uh, maybe get some of the, uh, maybe get some of the notable basketball alumni. If, uh, if Dominique Wilkins, if anyone knows Dominique Wilkins, let's get him on, on board. Uh, Teresa Edwards, uh, Terrence Edwards, uh, you know, get them on, maybe get a, get a little sibling rivalry going, uh, with them. Uh, and just, just kind of get some notable alumni, uh, notable athletic alumni, um, in here and, and, and talk, uh, talk UGA, talk their experiences, talk what's going on, uh, and uh, talk what's going on at the time. So if you know any of those people, uh, have them reach out, um, and uh, you know I'll continue to reach out as well. So um, that's pretty much all I got. Uh, just wanted to kind of talk about uh, what's going on with the with the current situation with all the conferences playing. Um, I hope they I hope the SEC ends up playing because uh, that means it is uh, safe enough to play, and the medical doctors have deemed it safe enough to play. And so um, I hope that is the case. Um, not only for the sake of being able to watch college football, but for the sake of the world that that's saying, okay, maybe, maybe we're, we're starting to get some things under control or, and uh, maybe we're starting to head in the right direction. Cause I, I know this country needs it after, after this difficult year that we've, we're still in and that we, that we've been through to this point. So um, with that being said, uh, I would like to thank you for listening. Find me on social media at believe in dogs, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and uh, Instagram. Uh, make sure you uh, catch up on all the episodes that you may have missed if you're a new listener you can start at episode one and work your way through there's a lot of interesting uh, topics that we've uh, that we've discussed along the way and uh, if you want to advertise believe.com blaV.com uh, they will get you set up so um, want again thank you for listening I uh, hope you have a great day great weekend and as always go dogs.